1: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
0: The Around the NFL podcast
2: won't have a bye until February. Damn right. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. Presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis. Coming to you from a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Week 16. Flagship show. Can you even believe it? So much to look forward to. If you're an NFL fan. If you're a podcast fan. Not only do we have a lot of uh, big games coming up. Uh, the playoffs the Super Bowl also as we announced at the end of our show on Thursday the around around the NFL live podcast Woo. from Miami oh my goodness the Thursday of Super Bowl week from the Miami improv if you want to get tickets hit com slash events mm. and just uh, scroll down the calendar you'll see it also on our Instagram page uh, the ATN pod is that what it is? the ATN podcast yes. You could get the link in the bio as well of our profile. Get tickets. Bring your friends. Let's party. Bring many friends, please. We'll tweet
3: it. We'll pin it on uh, the Twitter account around the NFL, too. We'll try to get some special guests. Maybe Gloria Estefan.
4: Wow, an owner.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of the Williams sisters. Basically, yes, the entire ownership group of the Dolphins. We're going to gun for, and if we can't, Mark Sessler personally will spend time with each and every one of you after the show.
5: Yes, I will. And I, whenever we do these traveling shows, and it's been a couple Super Bowls, it's, it's a treasure uh, to emotionally to find out, you know, or the, we're very big in Miami. And it's just that we're, that's being confirmed through uh, a lot of factors, factual things.
2: Traveling so it's exciting. Shows. You know. That was quite a point, Mark. <laughs> um, all right. So, yes, be there. That's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Oh my goodness, Greg! This is one of your biggest weeks of the season in terms of uh, playoff computations. This is when we really lean on you, and you understand that. You know that. I have been you know preparing. I got extra sleep.
3: I did push-ups. <laughs> Those calculator buttons, you know, don't don't press themselves.
2: Plus, you your family's out of town. They've left you. Yeah. For Japan. Yeah. And you now uh, have all this time to yourself. I don't know what you're doing with all this stuff. I,
5: yeah, I've heard some um, strange reports.
2: I just hope all that free time doesn't lead to faulty computations. I hope so. I mean, I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're going to get to all the games. There were three games, of course, on Saturday, and we'll get to them in fairly short order. But let's start with a couple Sunday games that really jumped out to us. Yes, including one that could very well end up deciding the NFC East. So let's start in the city of brotherly
0: love. Prescott back, Prescott steps up, he is firing deep and it is incomplete, incomplete, broken up
3: by Sidney Jones who made the play of the day against the Giants two
2: weeks ago. Well Sidney Jones just made the play of the day because he is stride for stride down the sideline and able to get the football out intended for Michael Gallup down that left side. This game is not over yet. Oh, but it was Brad, Brad Sham, the Sham God, and Babe Laffenberg with the call for KRLD. Yes, Sidney Jones broke up Dak Prescott's fourth down pass to Michael Gallup in the end zone. And then the Eagles were able to uh, run for a couple, uh, complete a first down pass, run for another first down, and end the game. They win 17-9 over the Eagles And the Cowboys had a chance, West, to win the division. Didn't come close in this one. And the Eagles are the team. They're playing like a true team when it matters most. And the Cowboys, they just seem to be busting apart at the seams.
4: Well, I think it's the second time in three weeks where you look at the Cowboys' operation and the blame just gets spread across the board. Starting with the coaching staff, um, they were just running into stacked boxes. Seemed like the entire first half on early downs when the Eagles' cornerbacks were injured. They were lining up to take numbers at the medical tent for a while for the Eagles. There were so many injuries. And, and the matchups, you, you could tell, was the Cowboys wide receivers on the Eagles cornerbacks. And they kept running on early downs. And then you spread the blame to the players because, you know, Amari Cooper drops. Jason Witten dropped. Randall Cobb a couple of drops. Michael Gallup drop, Dak Prescott, who's got a bum shoulder, a couple of misfires. Especially the Tavon Austin um, got wide open on the final drive with a chance for a long touchdown. There was a third down throw that Dak missed. Amari Cooper. Uh, the defense could not stop the Eagles' screen plays and Miles Sanders. It was just a poor effort across mm. the board. And I, this is to to play like that with the season on the line twice in three weeks, just terrible.
3: I look at the passing game, and I know. Dak Prescott's injured. But it's 2019, and you're dropping back to pass 44 times. And the Eagles didn't really have much pressure on him. They ended up with four QB hits on the day, didn't have a ton of hurries. If you look at the PFF pass-blocking grades, it's all great. So you get great pass protection. You got Dak, you got Amari, you got Cobb, you got all these players, and you can't throw the ball against a team that in the Eagles, that's given up some pretty big point totals to some pretty bad offenses lately. It's, like, I feel like whoever lost this game was going to
5: face uh, essentially a home city firing squad. Because, you know, I, I, t- 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 Troy Aikman notably true. called this the this Eagles win the best team win he's ever seen, which that uh, shocks me because it feels a tad... Feels like hypo- Troy's in his feelings a little Yeah, it, just, it feels a tad hyperbolic because th- I wouldn't be surprised if next week the Cowboys went out and uh, wiped out Team X and the Eagles lost, and they're both eight and eight. I just the Eagles to me it's, it's Dallas Goddard, guys stepping up when Zach Ertz is out. That's huge, and that's a big win.
4: But it's still a very inconsistent team, both of them. I think Troy is referencing the fact that even if the Eagles were healthy, the Cowboys have a much better roster at this point, and they weren't healthy. They were decimated by injuries in the Cowboys still have an incredibly more talented roster than the Eagles at this point in the season, and the undermanned Eagles just took it to the Cowboys. And if you
2: want to make the case that Jason Garrett has overstayed his welcome and it's finally time to say goodbye, I understand it, and I think anybody that says that's not something that should be done, really better have a good reason why, because Garrett has not made the most of this team. But then it's like... The only thing, and I bring this up occasionally on this podcast, the only thing that gets on my radar a little bit when people get mad at coaching, a coaching staff or a head coach is, man, where is the accountability on the players in this game? To your point, Wes, how many big plays and game-changing plays that Tavon Austin overthrow by Dak, the, the drops by Gallup, these plays... Are absolutely on the on a, a play a team that is not stepping up when it matters most, when it counts, and maybe it's a personnel issue as much as it is a coaching issue, and, and it, that's just the the story of this Cowboy season that everybody kind of faltered. Uh, it wasn't just the head coach's uh, fault.
4: I agree with that. That the players have to take some of the brunt of the blame, but the, it's on the coaches to stress. The urgency here. And, and for the past month, the urgency here for a team that is way more talented than any other NFC East team, and, and that hasn't been done. And a guy like Joe Banner, who you know, I know some people like him, don't like him, used to be the president of the Browns, president of the Eagles, spent the entire game pointing out the specific areas in Twitter. which Jason – Yes, on Twitter, the specific areas in which Jason Garrett was getting outcoached, in which the Cowboys' defensive staff was getting outcoached, and then you see things like Jason Garrett punting on fourth and one in the fourth quarter. And then the ne- very next drive going forward on fourth and eight and the drive after that going forward on fourth and nine. And it's like, where? what's the logic here?
3: And on the key snap of the game, Amari Cooper's not in there. Amari Cooper told reporters he was pulled out by coaches. That wasn't a case of him pulling himself out. There was also a key third and one where Zeke Why? apparently, you know, hit his helmet to, that he wanted to be taken out, which is, is going to get attention. It, you know, one of the big... I know, he, I'm sure he was tired and, and all of that, but that, that's a play that you expect Ezekiel Elliott to want the ball and to be on the
5: field. Yeah, it's like it compl- they have three more wins, the Cowboys do, than the New York Giants. It is completely unacceptable. From where we were at the beginning of the season, you looked at this roster up and down, that the blame is spread everywhere, but the coaching staff has found a
3: way year after year to not maximize the roster. Well, they they can't... I really do think there is something unique about Dallas that because of Jerry Jones and the way he treats his players cuz the way the city treats their players that they struggle with success. And just because it keeps happening, every single time they have a good season and they expect the next season's going to be every one, year. it never happens cuz football it, the there's such a small margin between these teams when you lose a little bit of that edge, it's huge. And I think the the biggest mistake Jones made in the Garrett era was 2013 after their third straight 8 and 8 when we were when Garrett had blown so many game management situations over and over and over again and to me that felt like the time that where he had shown that he wasn't your coach and here you are another six years later headed to an eight and eight and maybe the playoffs you said it I can totally see them them winning next week and the Eagles uh, losing that game to the Giants the Cowboys have the red, redskins I mean I don't think this well, thing I'll is go necessarily a step further. over we've mentioned this before I, I it, this season has been so up and down I think the Eagles will win by the way but I, I, it's just possible that you'd like win. to think that but I' we're
5: Weirder things have happened in our universe than two weeks from now we're talking about the Cowboys in the wild card round having shocked
2: a team at home a team like the Seahawks or the Eagles and I just want to give the Eagles the credit they deserve here because Carson Wentz uh, leading the way for the past three weeks how could you not be uh, ultra impressed with him. In the last two years, he's been basically sidelined by injuries this time of year. And what you've been able to see, and even today, another example, we already have, he, he has almost nothing to work with at the wide receiver position. This game, he loses Zach Ertz, who is his security blanket, his all everything. Some quarterbacks would go into a shell at that point, and he would have a perfectly good excuse. In this case, Dallas Goddard, and to Goddard's, um, you know, to... On, on him good for him he was able to step up in a big spot here nine for 91 and a touchdown and they just made the plays and he's played mistake free ball and as sloppy as Wentz was when they were struggling uh these last three weeks he has been exactly who they've needed Greg
4: Ward outplayed Amari Cooper today and we touched on this in the preview of this game that the Eagles have something on offense now that they didn't have a month ago Greg Ward Dallas Goddard Zach Ertz Miles Sanders this is way more than they had working for them a month mm. ago. And Zach, and Carson Wentz. And Wentz, so, the difference today, I thought, was in these third and short situations, and these third down situations, Wentz found a way to move the chains, whether it was by rushing, whether it was avoiding pressure and hitting receivers. Dak did not find a way to make those plays. And, and as down.
3: good as Wentz has, has been playing late in the season, Miles Sanders has over 300 yards in the last two weeks. That's been that huge. For that, them. That's yep. That is monster. He, you're getting Christian McCaffrey. Granted, it's two weeks, but he had some games before that. But you're getting Christian McCaffrey production out of Miles Sanders last two. Weeks.
4: He's now one of five rookies in history to have 500 yards rushing and receiving in the same rookie season.
2: Uh, the Eagles are a win at the Meadowlands against the Giants away in Week 17 from the NFC East title. Let's move on. The Saints are a team that will be playing. Uh, postseason football, and they uh, had a chance to strengthen their uh, uh, chances at a bye in Nashville. What happened?
0: Breeze under center here, I formation. Josh Hill motions left to right. Breeze
2: is going to look to throw. Throw into his right throws, and it's caught. And guess who? Michael Thomas. From two yards out, Mike Thomas gets the touchdown back, and he now extends his lead 145 receptions in one football season with a game to go. Look out now. Zach Streif, Saints Radio (laughs) Network, with the call. Yes, in Week 15, it was Drew Brees making NFL history. In Week 16, it was Michael Thomas' turn. Thomas set the single-season catch record and caught the game-icing touchdown pass you just heard in a 38-28 win over the Titans in Nashville. At 12-3, the Saints remain in the hunt for the number-one seed in the NFC. Greg? Uh, This was another impressive win for a Saints team that looks ready to do some damage in January, regardless of where they fall in the playoff bracket. They look
3: like a Super Bowl team to me, and I think Super Bowl teams have these check marks games that they have to go through, and they they lost that tough one against the 49ers a couple weeks ago, but down 14-3 on the road, you have two of your starting offensive linemen uh, out of the game, you're... Offense And Drew Brees was just furious through the first five dri- drives of this game. They had one field goal and four punts. And you're uh, playing a good team on a short week. And they score five touchdowns in their next six possessions. And they put up... 38 points in Tennessee. And Tennessee's a little banged up in, this, in the secondary. They were without Derrick Henry uh, in this game as well. Uh, and Jeffrey Simmons was out. They might have been looking a little bit to Week 17 just in terms of those decisions, but they were playing as hard as they can. And for an offense to just take over, that's the Saints to me. and it, And I really love their chances of getting... Uh, a buy. We'll have to see what happens in the next couple of days, or next uh, week or so. Uh, but they are putting themselves in position to be in the Super Bowl.
5: There's a lot of bubbling up on Twitter of when they were struggling against the Titans at one point in this game that, oh, it's just, just like every other Saints team you put right. them outside, they're not going to be able to do anything, and that's going to happen. But no, I think that there's a reason for that belief, because it has been true of Dome teams, and it's been true of Drew's, Drew Brees. But it hasn't been true though. of
3: the, this New Orleans Saints team. They're 6-1 on the road this year versus 6-2 and two at home. They have the best record in the NFL on the road over the last three years. So if they got some bad luck and did have to play some games on the road and don't get that bye like, like they're hoping for, I do think that this is a team that can beat anyone anywhere in the NFC.
4: How did Alvin Kamara look?
3: He looked like a different Alvin Kamara, especially on his touchdown run. Just the speed was there. He still didn't make guys miss in the open field, but it felt like a relief for him to get that 40-yard touchdown run. He had an, added another touchdown uh, later in the game, had 110 total scrimmage yards. So I think they feel uh, much better when he's running like that, especially because they will get their lineman back, they believe. I don't—the I don't. We, the one thing that happened in this game that, I, t- to me, was just a ghastly
5: moment officiating-wise, and it deserved a longer look, was the Khalif Raymond fumble for the Titans, oh, yeah. where, the, you know— what? The, the, stopped by one defender, but the second one coming in, I I saw helmet-to-helmet contact, and you mentioned that the broadcast didn't really kind of let it float by. That's the kind of thing that was a key moment in that contest, and it kind of killed Tennessee's chances.
2: I mean, it goes both ways. It's It's become impossible to kind of accurately get that right because the game's moving so fast. And how many times have we seen 15-yard penalties assessed on a team that did not land a head-to-head ball? But in that case, sure. it, was, it was stopped because they were
3: checking. It was on a turnover to set the But stage. can you call that on challenge? You could have. But Mike Rabel did, um, you know, no... Know- Note after the game, look, they looked at that play, and when they look at that play, they can look at everything. There, you know, that's one of the things that they can look at. So that happened on a turnover. Khalif Raymond fumbled the ball like right when he got hit. Uh, apparent it appeared to be contacted in the head. The Saints pick it up and then they go for a touchdown in the fourth quarter to go up ten. So it was a huge spot. The Titans fought really well all game, uh, and I guess the the officiating, you know, back in New York decided it wasn't enough to to overturn it.
2: And the Derrick Henry uh, sitting, I'm sure there are a lot of fantasy owners that were uh, devastated by that. But that could end up being a brilliant move by them because they still, they're in the playoffs, they got to beat the Texans, and then they, they need the Steelers to lose to the Ravens, uh, if I'm correct, Greg. They don't even... Computations. Yeah, they just, they just need to win. That's all they
3: need, winning in. They didn't know that when they started uh today, but they knew that next week was gonna be the key game and Pittsburgh loss uh helped them out. They can also get in with a Pittsburgh and Indianapolis loss. If those two teams lose next week, Tennessee wouldn't even have to win. But it it's a weird day for Tennessee because they came out of it despite the loss in better shape uh than they were going into it because of the the Pittsburgh game. And feeling even better about Ryan Tannehill. It took a couple more sacks, but God it's amazing how well, he's throwing the football. He's throwing the football, like, the ball as well as, I would say, any, like, a top-five quarterback. He, he threw it great again. It was the only reason they were in this game. There were a ton of big plays uh, in both directions. He made some great And I plays. saw a couple plays where the Saints were
5: right in his face, and his grill, and he got the ball. It just looks like a completely different player than he was in The Miami. concern
3: would be their, their offensive line, which was definitely a problem. He held the ball too long a few times, but Taylor Luan had had a rough day, and in general, he had to make some tough throws.
2: And, and the Texans are likely locked in to their seed or they can't make a move into the bye. So you would imagine the Titans might be facing a Texans team that's not playing everybody or playing big snaps next week. So this things could be all right for Tennessee. It's despite what happened today. It's tricky. It's
3: going to be one of the stories, not to you know spoil, you know like what teams do want to play next week. Because the Texans will, in theory, have seeding to play for no matter what. It's the three and the four seed, though. So how much... How much right. do you care about that? And you're gonna need to get help uh, to to move up and get that three seed. It might not be JJ Watt
2: in playing. Well, that's for Texans sure.
4: Texans yeah. are shallow. They need to keep their players healthy.
2: Yep. Uh, all right. Let us now ch- uh, check in on the Saturday games. Let's roll through them, and we'll start with the Saturday night game up at the Berg Bell Bottom.
1: Garoppolo in the gun, Kittle to his left, Raheem Mostert to his right. They twist the front. Garoppolo going to throw a deep shot down the field. Sanders has got it.
0: They ever touch him? He can still run. I think. I'm not sure they touched him down. In any event, the 49ers are in field goal range. It is Robbie Gold time. What a shot there on third and 16. They pick up 46 on the post drop to Emmanuel Sanders.
2: Greg Papa with the call for the 49ers radio network. The Niners seem to be involved in late game dramatics every week. This week, they were on the right side of the ledger. Emmanuel Sanders, 46-yard catch, set up a chip shot, Robbie Gould field goal. This time ran out. 49ers win, 34-31 to over the Rams. The loss eliminates Los Angeles from postseason contention nearly 11 months after they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, this is a game that is still coming down to Niners' Rams next week, but you wanted a, 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 a Niner's team coming off that really bad Atlanta game. You didn't want to lose another one here and put yourselves in a situation where you feel like you're trending downward in the wrong direction. So uh, credit to them also, you know, that's a, that's a tough game against the Rams team that was desperate for a win. The Rams needed to win twice and get Minnesota to lose twice to get back to the playoffs, and instead they get the job done. And if, if on the Rams side of the ball, I mean, it's it was such a frustrating season uh, for the Rams after that 3-0 and start. They just could never really get things going, and you wonder what lies ahead for this team. Uh, but I thought it was just fitting the way that this game, you know, the play that you just heard uh, went down where – Jalen Ramsey and the, and the safety had a miscommunication. I don't think it was Ramsey's fault. but Well, that-
5: Ramsey called out safety Taylor Rapp as saying after the game that he blew the assignment. I don't know if you want
3: players saying that about each other, but that's... I mean, Charles bad. Davis said it on the broadcast too. Taylor Rapp was Garden air.
2: There right. was no one anywhere also, near it. Also, Jalen
4: Ramsey got beat on the play.
2: And... Whatever the – whatever who was responsible for what, it let it was a coverage bust that absolutely could not happen in that spot. And it's kind of a crushing way for your season essentially to essentially be ruined to to break down mentally in that spot. So the Rams go home, and, and the Niners are feeling good against a compromised Seahawks team coming up in Week 17.
4: Feels like there's been so many crucible moments for Jimmy Garoppolo over the absolutely. Second, second half of the season. He's won some, he's lost some, but I, I don't get the doubt at this point – We know that at this point, he's not a guy where the moment ever seems too big for him.
3: I mean,
2: despite his lack of experience uh, coming into this year, who's more battle-tested for January than Jimmy G as we head, head toward the playoffs? They
3: went from a team that won a lot of games by a lot of points to about seven straight weeks, many of which against really good teams, have all been... You know, knuckle, what do they call them? Knuckle, knuckling down? White I don't knucklers? know. White, white knuckler. knuckler? What white well, well, does said, that even
2: mean, the uh, white knuckle? It's it's you're, you're, like, you're so tight. that the, uh. I think
4: like working men of the past knew what that meant. I'm not sure we do. <laughs> it's like your hands are on the steering wheel and all you can see is white knuckles. And he didn't even play that well
3: in this game. I mean, that's the, the the weird thing about this game. You watch it. It wasn't a great Jimmy G game overall until the end. And Jared Goff played incredible. It's one of the weird things about this Ram season is you couldn't like get everything going right at the same time. Jared Goff made four or five throws in this game that were as good or better than any and uh, a, Jimmy G's. a crushing mistake. Yeah, and one one big mistake. But yes, the fact you it. put up 31 on the 49ers, even giving up a pick six, you expect uh, to win that game, and it could have repercussions. Mike Silver hinted at that in his uh, column that Wade Phillips could be a goner after this year, and, and maybe Todd Gurley, too.
4: And from the 49ers at this point, you wonder what their identity is, and to me it just seems like it's George Kittle hop on his back, let one of the five best players in the NFL take you there, and he will.
2: Two third third and 16 conversions setting up. It was outrageous. Field goal, the second being that coverage bust uh, that we mentioned. I think the one thing that jumped out to me a little bit that I'd be concerned with if I was a 49ers fan was the offensive line. Garoppolo didn't have a lot of time in this game. There were a lot of times the the pocket was pretty jacked up, and we know they lost – uh, uh, Weston Richburg, the center, uh, to an injury, some bad snaps in this game. Uh, also, uh, in general, Uh, you imagine not every team has an Aaron Donald and a Dante Fowler, but in January they're gonna send you know, they're gonna be coming after Garoppolo and you can't protect him, he's gonna make mistakes. He's not he's not a mistake he's not a flawless quarterback and if you put the pressure on him he could throw a game away, I think.
5: Would anyone have a problem with Kyle Shanahan winning coach of the year? I guess it's outside of the Ravens situation. That to me he stands out.
4: I I think it's John Horrible. I, yeah. guess, I, I would
3: wouldn't have a problem, though. Those would be my two, and it seems basic because they've you know, they've got the best records. But I also think, you know, in Harbaugh's case, they have the most creative offense, the most creative defense, and he's the one that put it up, you know, put it in charge. But in Shanahan's case, what team has overcome more adversity in terms of injuries yep. and been competing every week? Even their three losses were all, you know, at the last... Second, he he's done a good job. They don't have
5: that outlier game or two where they just didn't show up it every is,
3: single week. Their team, it's kind of the opposite of the rim. Their team seems to pick each other up. I, I'd be a little concerned the defense isn't nearly as dominant as it was early in the year, but they still have the personnel there where you think that with the right matchup and in the playoffs that they're certainly, like last night when, I'm, see wa- him healthy. when I'm watching this 49ers defense, I'm always thinking their defense is going to make a play. And they did and they did make a, a couple.
2: I feel like the arrow's been pointing up on Gurley in the second half. And I know, due to his contract, it'd be very hard to get out from under it. Would they be that desperate uh, to lose him? I know he didn't have a big yardage day in this game, but I don't know. He has been moving better in the second half. I guess maybe they're looking for a fresh start. Uh, maybe we're, I, we're in I that feel territory. Like a
5: lot of changes could be coming to the. I mean, and Mike Silver noted it, but you know, this is they put themselves in a kind of win now mode where they're not winning now, and they have no draft picks coming up. You know, you there are some questionable.
4: Transactions and moves attached to that front office. Silver's column, which was very good, made it seem like McVay was more pressing for more changes after this loss
2: than the Super Bowl loss, that he took this one harder. Hmm. All right, uh, let's uh, check in on the early game on Saturday.
0: Empty backfield now for Jameis Winston. Here's the snap. Winston, quick throw left side. Intercepted at the 40-yard line. Jalila die with the pick. The Texans have the ball at the 38 with 127 left, and the Bucks with only one timeout.
2: Mark Vandermeer with the call for the Texan. Oh, here we go. Uh oh. Ball that Texan. Copland. Ball that Texans. Ball that Texans. Did you miss this last week, Mark? Totally. Oh, yeah. Bring me the girl. <laughs> Sacrifice her. The great beast. There's Mark. Look at those moves.
5: Why am I the last person remaining in that graphic? That's
2: how it would be in real life. The Texans forced five turnovers. Bradley, Robbie. (laughs) Return. return. (laughs) The Texans were the recipient of five turnovers. Four from the quarterback. Jameis Winston, including a pick six. The sixth pick six by Winston, tying an NFL record. And, yes, that interception you heard basically put the Bucks in a body bag. 23-20, Texans win, clinching the AFC South for the fourth time in five years. Mark, we had an idea that the Houston DBs could have some opportunity with uh, Winston missing his top Two receivers, and that's exactly how it played out.
5: What a roller coaster! I mean, the day started with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reporting that the Bucks intend to bring Winston back based on this hot month that he's had. Don't
2: leak that out until after Week 17. That's the lesson. That's as always uh, I,
5: well. Yeah, the the timing, you know. And then hours later, it I, this stat absolutely is fascinating to me. That we when we went to to London and we saw Jameis Winston against the Panthers throw five interceptions. That announcing booth included Rich Eisen and he did the game yesterday along with Joe Thomas who in his first day as an announcer Joe Thomas saw an insane opening 15 or 20 minutes but Rich Eisen uh, led booths have now witnessed nine Jameis Winston interceptions in the course of two games. I mean, and th- the, I will say this about the Bucks, though. In watching this at home, it made me just love Saturday football. Just I never oh, yeah. this would have been one I would have caught on Game Pass and condensed late. But the way that it unfolded, and it was it, finally you got that Tampa Bay field under clouds, and it looked nice. glorious. Forget that hideous Tampa Bay sun. But. I mean, the Bucks to me, struck me as very resilient because a number of calls... You could point to a number of calls that went against them that were, seemed totally ridiculously unfair. And Bruce Arians, I thought, was going to maybe get booted from this game at one point because he was red-hot furious with the officials. And there was a moment where an official came over to circle back and, and kind of explain the latest debacle. And you could sort of see Arians saying... Get the F out of here. I mean, and his
2: face matches his red hat and his red uh, pullover head coach jacket at this stage in his life. I worry about the man's health.
5: Uh, I he, But he had a reason to be hot. And, you know, the Texans, I, I, the Bucs' run defense has been lights out for a long time. And they they absolutely smothered what Houston tried to do on the ground, 2.6 yards per carry. Deshaun Watson, you know, they, they lost Will Fuller, and I think that seems to happen every week to them. And then their passing game never really, I thought, got unhooked for the most part. They they put it to Houston. I thought this game was going to go Tampa Bay's way for a while because this, it's one of those things where it was started so ugly for Winston and the rest. And then they still were only down like 10-3 and hanging around. And the, and the, te- the Texans, in up and they're an up-and-down team, were refusing to put them away. But you know Winston did what he does it, at the end too. It did
2: feel that way like this was a game that Houston let get away and they would it would destroy them and uh but it didn't because to the Texans credit they do find a way usually and they have they have their hiccups every every so often but they are they they do a good job closing games out but at the same time one of my big takeaways from the game was uh that they're in trouble again because and I thought with the Will Fuller injury it's another soft tissue injury this time it's a groin and uh, it doesn't look good. And Bill O'Brien, after the game, he was fairly blunt in his assessment. He was saying what everybody else is thinking. You can understand why frustration has set in. Here's the quote. He's a great guy, and I love coaching him but it is hard for him to stay healthy. That's the bottom line. And we, you, there's put tons of next-gen stats, and anywhere you look, that will point out how much better this offense has been with Fuller on the field. But it's almost gotten to the point where you just have to assume he's not on the field, and that's something that they're going to have to look to address in the offseason. That's
5: why that Kenny Stills addition by B.O.B. makes him again. That Those early season trades made
4: some sense for the Texans. I mean, Jameis was when Jameis Winston was missing his two top two receivers, and he moved the ball, and that's perhaps a little bit unfair because he he can throw caution to the wind with no consequence. Well, their offense
3: <laughs> is better. Lately, it's better than. Well, I don't know about better. I feel like he's physically
2: impossible. It's physically impossible for Winston's decision-making process to ever factor in risk. <laughs> I mean, he could have thrown another couple in this game. We talked about he was he, going into this game. He was six picks away from the hollowed. Actually, no one's ever established it yet. Thirty, thirty club, thirty touchdowns, thirty picks. He is now up to twenty-eight. It seems like a mortal lock that he's going to set gonna happen.
4: He he mentioned after the game that his goal for. The final game would be to protect the ball and, and avoid turnovers. And it's like you'd have to change do the it. way you're wired. That's not well, who he is.
3: The, the first half to me was the culmination of his entire career. It was everything. Right. It was them falling down 17 3, him having all of those turnovers right off the bat, then getting it all the way four turnovers, I believe, in the first half. Yeah, just 18 team. minutes. Yeah, and, and three by him, but getting it back. But the. To 17 all at halftime including a, a terrific play right before the half to tie it and that they were leading in yardage 281 to 83 but it was a tie game and like that that is that is the Bucks' experience I mean in this game they held the Texans to 229 yards and that's not just because you know they're giving short fields with all these turnovers and, and they they get extra possessions it's because the Texans couldn't really move the ball throwing or passing. If there's one thing I think Bucks fans should feel, I think there's a few things Bucks fans should feel good about. One, this offense is working. I mean, whether Winston should be the quarterback or not, I think that's a, that's a totally fair question. Maybe he shouldn't be, and finding another one's not easy. But I don't know. You put someone else here with Bruce Arians and, and Godwin and Evans, and I bet it's going to be pretty good too. And then the defense is the main thing that surprised me. Their young secondary has stepped up. I mean, Murphy Bunton, Bunting, who you've talked a lot about, uh, Wes, who's played great. Um, Carlton Davis shut down DeAndre Hopkins pretty well. Yeah, this did. is about five weeks where their defense has played well. So I, I think I'd feel pretty good about that if you're a Bucks fan.
2: And Deshaun Watson was grabbing at his ankle at multiple points in this game. We mentioned it earlier. They can't really move too much in the playoffs. They're either going to be the three seed or the four seed. There's a lot. You know, you can make a case for keeping Watson on the on the bench and getting him ready for a wild card matchup. Right, and they would need a Chiefs loss uh,
3: even to have a chance to move up. Uh, anyhow, in Week 17, which is is unlikely the the way that the Chiefs are playing in general, uh, so th- it is a fair question I just, you I do don't, wonder. I, and they're they're very possibly going to be hosting Buffalo Saturday afternoon uh, in that first wild card spot. The new West of us. Buffalo <laughs> is locked into the five seed. Spoiler alert! And uh, the Texans would most likely be the team hosting. What's them. changed for me with the Texans is I don't believe in their
5: ceiling the same way I did six mm. weeks ago. I, the, the idea of ceiling being, if you play
3: the way they were capable of when they blew up the Patriots, that they're going to do that three games in a row in the play. AFC is a little deeper, too. or It's better at the top. you know A lot of times it's the Patriots, maybe one other team. Now you've got a, at least two or three teams that are going to be tough to get through.
2: Are there more Texans games than Bengal games on West of us now, Wes? Has it reached that point? Wow, it's close. West of us uh, being the, the Saturday Tex- early... A uh, wild card round game that the Bengals dominated throughout the early part of this decade.
4: Well, by dominate you mean lose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they were dominated in the games, but dominated the time slot.
4: Right. I think they started out with three years in a row, but the Texans have caught up to them.
2: Mm. And how Drama. dare
5: you put the Bills at the as the early game? They are prime time oh, no. That's Exactly to where
2: they should be.
3: Fifth, exactly. fifth uh, winning season out of six for Bill O'Brien. The de facto and another GM another division championship it's not nothing you know what i mean it's like good I mean, coach
2: it's good, not good job, nothing guys. good job for coming around on this
3: david caldwell the jaguars gm is supposedly coming back the jaguars have one season with more than five wins in his seven years in charge and he's <laughs> keeping his job that's and amazing. yet
2: bill o'brien you know i mean they, they're winning the division all right um the texans were not the only team that clinched the division on saturday that's right. fourth and goal oh, for the 15 it. the blitz is coming Allen running for his life Wolfs it toward the back of the end zone a man there and it's knocked down incomplete J.C. Jackson breaks it up in the corner of the end zone knocking it away from Cole Beasley and that should be enough to give the New England
0: Patriots their 11th straight AFC East title
2: Westwood won with the call I don't know why, but that's what we have. Uh, the Patriots rule the AFC East for another year. Josh Allen marched the Bills inside the Patriots' 10 in the final minutes, but the New England defense held, securing a 24-17 win that clinches uh, the division and keeps the Pats in line for their unprecedented 10th consecutive playoff by yes. Marone. Um, listen, here's the thing. This is my takeaway from this game if you're a Patriots fan, you you finally have something to feel good about now as you get closer to January because I thought this was a really good day for their offense, moving the ball on the ground. Sony Michelle really moved well, uh, had nearly 100 yards. They had 143 in total. And that ability uh, to keep the defense honest really, I thought, helped Brady, who was crisp and efficient and was accurate with his throws for the first time in some time. And this is not going to be a world-beating offense. But if you take this version of New England's offense and combine it with their defense, they absolutely, and you give them a short playoff field with a bye and home games, yes, this is a team that can get back to the Super Bowl if they play like this. Uh, now, can they continue to string these games together? My concern is that they can, and they've hit on a recipe <laughs> that they're going to ride hard here because it's not particularly interesting, fun football to watch either. But that was my big takeaway on the New England side, that they, they had something here, and will they be able to replicate it as we go down into the playoffs?
3: Guys made played for, plays for Brady. I know there was a lot more that went into it, and they certainly protected him pretty well against you know so-so pass rush of the Bills. But guys made plays for him. Burke had made a contest, a couple of nice plays. Edelman made contested catch. You know he leads the NFL in drops. He made some tough catches. Jacoby Myers made a contested catch. Mohamed Sanu made a, a contested catch to keep a drive alive. Nikhil Harry did. It really felt to me like that was the number one thing watching this game was these guys are never that open, and in this game. Brady was more accurate, but more importantly, the receivers made catches with guys on them, and it just kind of kept them on the field, which is just going to make everything look a lot better. And it was, to me, easily their best game of the year uh, on both, you know, overall. I'm with you. I, I have to wonder
5: if quietly Bill Belichick has enjoyed this coaching experience and what he's got out of all three phases. I mean, because it's special teams every week, and the defense is playing at magical levels at times. And I just – I've never really – I can't think – I'm trying to think of another team that has had been so hamstrung on offense and found a way, opponent to opponent, to squeeze the life out of whoever they're playing and win in very weird, strange ways in some cases. I got way hooked into this emotionally because I I felt myself just rooting. Let me find that tweet rooting hard for the Bills because I just I know what they're so imperfect but I love them and I and I just wanted this city to experience uh, a win over New England because they, Why you hate the Patriots I d- you know but I know that's another thing is the Patriots I've often it's fine. Like, it's totally respected of but at one point in every season I hit it I hit that wall with the Patriots where I'm done with it and then
2: they, they, they'll they'll pull me back here's a tweet from Mark Sessler the Patriots advance beyond quote dumbly annoying close quote to open quote, death ray ponderous, close quote, levels. Their soft-bellied fanatics fanned and fed grapes as if they'd accomplished literally a particle of tangible progress in their own lives. (laughs) Floating in soft ecstasy, Foxborough thicks, vicarious goons. And this this led to uh, some pushback. I would say (laughs) that's... (laughs) That's fair, uh, who came out? Do you get some barstool goons? and I stopped looking because you get? it What'd was you get? no, it was the you get full, local radio guys the, the
5: full entree of New England and I and it's fair. I mean, I put myself out there to be uh, roundly abused by these people, and that's what's that's what's <laughs> unfolding at the moment as
2: we speak uh I enjoyed it quite a bit my my thoughts on the bills is is the same one that's kind of been holding for a while now. The bills are good it's their gift, and it's their curse. Curse. And when you're good, you could beat terrible teams and you could beat bad teams. You could beat mediocre teams. And probably more often than not, this Bills team could beat other good teams. But once that, the, once you hit that next level, and I don't think the Patriots are a great team, but Greg, this is my scientific analysis. This They're game a, a very good team. Uh, they, they just don't get it done. And we've seen that multiple times this season. Now, the positive of this is one, You're going to the playoffs anyway, and that's going to be fun. Two, with two narrow losses to the Patriots this year, you know that this gap is not, wide any longer and it's something that you're trending in the right direction it's something to build on next year because everyone on AFC East the number one goal now entering the season is knocking the Patriots out of their division chair Uh, and the Bills are closer than anybody else in that division right now they're just not there yet and I think that's what's going to haunt them when you get to January when you play better than good teams but there's nothing to be ashamed of uh, anything they've done this season Uh, good for them for hanging tight in this game
4: We've been through almost two years, two seasons of Josh Allen, and I understand that he's often the problem there, but I don't get like this skepticism that he can't possibly develop into a good quarterback. He's been confused by the Patriots twice now, and I know that's no small thing, but in the fourth quarter when you throw out the game plan and ask the quarterback to win the game for you, and he didn't come through, but that drive was really impressive. When I watch his playing style and athletic ability, he's the closest I've seen to a young, raw John Elway. He just has so much similarity to him as far as athletic ability, arm, ability to make plays when it breaks down, ability to drag the team down the field. I mean, nothing close in terms of accuracy. Well, Greg, you didn't watch John Elway when he was young, and he was incredibly inaccurate and he was just as raw as John as Josh Allen.
3: He had some hideous box scores back then. He
5: was not a fantasy type quarterback. Look at his stats
4: from early in his career. Allen
3: made
2: some great throws.
3: Look, he he did. did. I bet the Patriots defense played their normal game, a really good game. They didn't force a single turnover. So that's abnormal. But the Bills were in this game because Josh Allen had two just gorgeous throws. The touchdown at the end of the first half to Dawson Knox, which seemed like it would be a killer uh, considering how well the Patriots had played that half to go in tied. Uh, And then the touchdown to John Brown where, you know, Brown ate up Stephon Gilmore and, and Devin McCourty. Those were unbelievable. And the fourth quarter drive was awesome too. The problem is, he also had layups that he missed throughout the first – he had some layups in the first half that just ended drives. And then – and you just don't – the thing I – it's so – it seems obvious, but the thing it took me a weird long time to realize is like every NFL quarterback is going to make completions if he's protected. Every single one. It's they're, That's how good they are. But Josh Allen does not all the time. And so that – like the fact that he doesn't fit into that bucket where I think – you know, even the Mark Sanchez or whoever, they're going to complete passes when they're protected like that. It just worries me. But he obviously has a lot of other good qualities that makes up for it and, and puts them in this position.
4: And he's entertaining to watch. Yes, he is.
3: Yes, I, uh, I. I don't know this. Uh, the the way that game ended with Kyle Van Noy uh, getting two straight pressures was to me kind of an under undersung part of it. Is he beat their left tackle, Deion Dawkins, two straight times. He is their best pass rusher. He is their best player in the front seven. It was too bad he didn't make the Pro Bowl in my mind, but that was kind of a, a classic way. Their, par- their pass
2: rush sealed that game. They got him for the sack, Allen, and then they it was basically a jailbreak, it looked like, in the last play of the game, leading to the incompletion. So They
3: have to beat the Dolphins next week. That is essentially a, you know, a playoff-like game for them, whereas if they beat the Dolphins, then they advance to the divisional round. I love their You don't chances. see
5: Brian Flores being involved in some Pink Pony stuff that allows New England <laughs> <laughs> to fly right through Miami?
3: Like a brick through a piece of paper.
4: You got to convince I mean, convince Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know? Right,
3: exactly. I mean, we'll first see. of all, this Dolphins team I hasn't like lied, laid down for anyone, um, but they did play once earlier in the year, and the Patriots.
2: And Dolphins won spent that a game.
5: plenty of time laying down to the Bengals towards the
2: end of that game. I was going to say, get the same that Dolphins game. that blew a 35 12 lead earlier today. Hey, they won it. Let's move back to Sunday.
0: Empty backfield. Jackson out of the shotgun. What's the throw. Blitz pressure coming. Jackson hit. Lobs to the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Mark Andrews. Ad-lib to perfection from Jackson to Andrews. And the Ravens converts in the final minute of the opening half.
2: The Hay will soon be in the barn. Jerry Sandusky, WBAL. Yes, Lamar Jackson threw three touchdown passes. Two to Mark Andrews uh, late in the second quarter. And he ran for another 100 yards. Lamar Jackson, this is, if there was any doubt, this kind of removed it. He is the MVP, and you'll find out for sure in about a month. But, uh, yes, the Ravens clinched the top seed in the AFC playoffs for the first time in their history uh, with uh, their 11th straight win, 31-15 over the Browns. Mark, Baltimore's offense took some time to get going Uh, But there's an inevitability inevitability about this team. They they just always get you in the end.
5: They do. And the reason I asked you to play that highlight was that it capped um, or was right sandwiched in between a sequence that went from the end of the first half early into the third that Highlighted for me everything that's wrong with the Browns and everything that's right with the Ravens. Where basically, all right, there, there's a the, the Browns are up six nothing and had done a really nice job on defense of making this a tough world for Lamar Jackson and the rest of the offense. And they had another marking Ingram fumble, which happened the first time they beat Baltimore. Things were going their way, and they their offense, you know, is, is has issues. Cleveland, but they basically so the Ravens go on what is a very quick two play sixty three yard touchdown march. All right, take about a minute. The Browns right March. Then- yeah, it's, I don't know if that's a marsh or just like basically just threw a rope for a touchdown. The Browns get the ball back, and they're down 7-6. You've got to find a way to get out of that half before – just stop the bleeding. Get out of that half because you're, you're kicking off to Baltimore. So what do they do? They fire off a string of passes. They're, they're three and out, and, the, and their drive takes 23 seconds. You give the ball right back to Baltimore on a short field, and that just happened, the highlight. So suddenly it's 14-6. You come out of half. You kick the ball back to Baltimore – They rip down the field on 13 plays, 69 yards, taking up eight minutes nearly of the set of the third That's quarter. That's a march. Right? That's a march. And they're up 21-6, and you know the game is over. And the game is over because they are well-coached. They understand situational awareness. They understand how to deal with the final two or three minutes of a half and maximize it and use it in a way that destroys their opponent. And Cleveland is absolutely the opposite end of the spectrum. They looked lost, completely lost. You have, by the end of this game, Odell Beckham screaming at Freddie Kitchens on the sideline. Now they said later because this was the the Browns climbed back in and went for an early two point conversion when they would have needed another touchdown to tie and you know you got you got Baker Mayfield throwing to Ricky Seals Jones where Odell Beckham is basically the. Tony Romo thought he was annoyed at Freddie Kitchens for saying, why isn't the ball obviously going to me? Why, why is not the whole play on our season is on the line with a very, you know, very little oxygen left. And we're throwing to Ricky Seals Jones. And, they, you know, the, after the game, Freddie Kitchens said, no, it was Odell upset about the Ravens and the way the Ravens were, you know, playing physical with them. I, I just don't know what I buy at this point, because every game to me is a reflection of, a coaching staff, and an overall an organization that spent the whole year, cannot get out of their own way, and today was the, against your mortal enemy, the Baltimore Ravens. The team ripped from you, and the team that's gone on to have the success that you should have if you were a functional organization. The Browns cannot make it happen, and it was one of the more depressing losses, and you have to... There, it is inexcusable. Listen how upset Mark Well, is, it is everybody. inexcusable
2: at we, this point. For 15 weeks, Mark, in what has been, since I've known him, the most disappointing Brown season, uh, given how exciting everything was heading into it, Mark, for 15 weeks, was in pretty good shape in the newsroom. Did not really get upset. Did not get very annoyed. Uh, kind of viewed it as uh, in its own level of inevitability. But for some reason, this game is the one that got you, My triggered you. My
5: apathy is helping me.
2: The- <laughs> Maybe not. The storm
4: was so quiet, as if to be non-existent for fifteen weeks. But today, brewing, the quiet storm raged. Well, they've squeezed, ho- and I, you know, Browns fans, I'm
5: sure at this point are just they find new ways to to author terrible seasons. And this this just is I, any team where you don't add up to the talent of your roster. We talk about it with the Cowboys. Uh, it's just inexcusable. And you know, by all accounts, we met with Freddie Kitchens. I like the guy. He seems like a good guy. It's not a personal thing, but it. it I don't know how you argue that you bring the staff back for next season. There's just no way, and it's another one-and-done scenario. It's embarrassing, but you have to hope you can get someone in here that can work with this locker room.
2: Mark Ingram left this game with a injury of some kind. Is it anything to worry about?
5: I, you know, he at one point he was hurt. Lamar Jackson was hobbling around. Mark Andrews was hobbling around, and I just they need they need rest. I don't know what the deal is with injury. And Adam
4: Schefter reported it's a strain.
5: Right, and there are no structural issues or anything like that. So it sounds like I just you might, you might not see them next week when they play the Steelers.
3: Right, and then that's three weeks off for them, which is tricky, but they're wrapping up you know, one of the great regular seasons uh, of the last 20, 30 years. That's how good this Ravens team is. It, that, I'm not surprised that the Ravens defense kind of choked out this Browns offense eventually because that's what's changed the mo- most since they met in week four. I'm just like amazed looking at... Lamar Jackson going over 100 yards again rushing it's not even a big deal anymore that he ran for 176 times this year for over 1200 yards averaging you know almost seven yards per carry assuming he threw for 36 touchdowns too by the way I know we're just like used to it at this point because but to think of if anyone had thought that this was possible in August even his Biggest fans like that—that that Lamar Jackson of all these guys who was drafted, or like, the Making the Leap author, right? It, it's it's the, it m- is the is the MVP MVP an MVP playing football? And it's just remarkable. Like,
2: I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's amazing. In the time we've done this podcast, we've had some really incredible individual season. Uh, individual seasons, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Adrian Peterson, Patrick Mahomes last year. But this one just feels unique. It's like we've never seen anything like this. And it's
5: the way the whole organization bought into this. It, you know, when the entire rest of the NFL – Doubted that it could be done. That it was. Oh, it's a nice five or six game stretch last year, and then they were figured out in the playoffs. And it's not going to work. And it's like, no, everyone's right. Plus, wrong. yeah,
2: that playoff loss where he looked, you know, so exposed for three and a half quarters. That was the last time we saw him before this happened. Uh, it's just remarkable what he's turned into in such a fast, uh, expedient.
4: Man.
3: And it's a team. It, it, he's the key, and they built it all around him. But it is a, it, like his success and the MVP is a, is a t, is a team thing because. He wouldn't be able to only throw the ball 25 times or less in every game since week six unless their defense was playing that well, unless every, you know, the offensive line, I mean, he's the key that makes them all look better, and that's why he's the MVP. But it's pretty remarkable that they've been able to keep with that formula every single week. I, I think Baltimore is an underrated
5: place to have to go play, and they have home field advantage. I i just don't know who's going to take them out
4: at this point. We will see. All right, Greg, let's... would you care to guess whether John Harbaugh is going to play RG3 for at least quart- three quarters next
3: week? Mm. I think he's going to play him... Maybe the whole game because Garofolo did indicate uh, earlier this week that they would probably sit Lamar Jackson. So I I wouldn't be surprised if RG three starts, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens uh, backups are at least you know you can't sit everyone. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens backups beat the Steelers. These it we saw it in two thousand four. I remember when the Steelers backups. I mean, it's be- the Steelers backups mostly too. But yeah, right. That's what that's yeah. partly what I mean. Like I think the Ravens backups with RG three can can have a good chance to beat Duck Hodges and whoever the Steelers are lining up. I wouldn't say that that's uh, just a game that you chalk up. I just remember so distinctly that 2004 Steelers team, which was great, had the one seed, sat everyone. They played Willie Parker and their backups in in week 17. Bills fans got knocked out of the playoffs with a home game, thinking that they're going to beat their backups. I don't know this. Ravens. Organizations. The well, only
5: thing I'd say is whenever RG three has been in there, I mean they the hasn't look it fall, that offense falls into unwatchable what does territories. It no, it doesn't. I'm, yeah. it not lose. Them. I'm just it saying will,
2: it'll matter yeah. for the Steelers. It, yeah. But yeah. Um, all right, look, we're going to get to the Steelers in a second, but uh, there was another upset uh, to dig into this in the NFC.
0: Three receivers in the game. Shotgun snap. Hundley's going to throw. Looking to his left in trouble, gets hit, breaks out of there, rolling right to the 20, to the 15, cuts back to the left of the 10. He's at the 5, and he's got the first down as he dives to the 3-yard line. Oh, my goodness, (laughs) Brett Hudley was sacked. I mean, you literally had a Seahawk with his arms around his waist in the pocket, and somehow he got out of that, and then an incredible run by 7.
2: Oh, man, I want Ron Wolfie at Thanksgiving dinner next year thank christmas dinner new I, year's eve simply invite him i'm sure he'd, i'm sure he would do that for you ron wolfie and dave Pash on the play by play for the cardinals radio network yes Brad hunley you remember him he replaced an injured uh, kyler murray and he gave the seahawks fits on defense making big plays to close out a rather surprising 27-13 upset win over the seahawks in the clink greg the seahawks can still win the nfc west with a win next week against the Niners. But, you know, this loss and some crushing injury news kind of puts the whole their whole season in a different uh, category now. No team had a worse day.
3: They lost Dwayne Brown, uh, you know, before the game even started, and it turns out he's going to need a knee surgery. That's the, Oof. their left tackle. Micah Yapati, their guard, went in and out of this game, missed most of the first half. Chris Carson uh, is expected to miss the rest of the season after suffering uh, a hip injury. CJ Procise, who came in as Carson's backup, also got hurt and will be out uh, for Week 17. Rashad Penny, of, of course, are already arm. out. Broke his arm. And uh, who's the defensive player that I'm now forgetting got hurt? We'll get back Does to that even later. Doesn't Clowney didn't play in this game, and maybe he'll return and that'll help. And they could have used him because even before all the these like the field. injuries kept cascading, the Seahawks defense had no <laughs> what you're always no, in it I love cloudy. Dan, no,
5: Dan, had, the Dan has some relative you know, so this he's, him and Jadavian Clowney although you met each other once and you interviewed him no I have no
2: problem with him but I it is remarkable like this guy on the planet, but. this guy for all the talking points is never on the field well factually that
3: couldn't that's Totally wrong until this year. He played a higher percentage of snaps over the last three years than literally almost any That's wrong. lineman check, in the league. Check your math. This year, he he's always <laughs> playing through. Don't injury. get in the way of our muckraking
5: journalism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this
3: year, he's definitely been on, off and on, and that has hurt them uh, big time. Uh, it It's remarkable and yet not totally shocking uh, to see their defense struggle against the Cardinals. The bigger surprise was that Russell Wilson could not come up with anything. Uh, offensively throughout the entire day, even before these injuries were happening. They had a first drive touchdown, and then after that, they couldn't get anything going. I
2: I mean, you looked at this. D.K. Metcalf targeted once, a drop, and that was it. And then Tyler Lockett, a guy we were just singing the praises of heading into this game, um, because he was healthy and making plays again. He shows up in this game, and he finishes with one catch for 12 yards on eight targets. This is not what we expected ever from the Seahawks offense, and, and I know this doesn't, as I laid out at the top of this, this does not end their season, this loss, but it's just something seemed very wrong uh, yeah. with the with it, the Seahawks. Thing.
5: How many people out there lost their fantasy championships today and, and, over, and probably maybe didn't get there because of what's happened to Chris Carson and then how many won because they had Kenyon Drake who has six touchdowns in two weeks and went off for 166 yards today turning David Johnson once again into a raging
2: afterthought two carries for three yards for David Johnson who was once viewed as like the future of the position
4: and the Kenyon Drake's a free agent, so they have to decide whether to pay him and cut David Johnson or pay both or what's going on. Well, to they're so. going to cut like, – they're oh, definitely oh, cutting gosh. David
3: Johnson. And they, they
4: did say they want to sign
3: Drake. His price tag went up, but he fits that offense. I give Cliff Kingsbury so much credit, and it was almost fitting that his best moment as a coach, a rookie coach, was with Brett Hundley on the field – running plays. The fact that they were able to still have a decent running game and some of it was just improvised Hunley scrambling, but some of it was Kenyon Drake's runs that were very creative that even with Hunley at quarterback they were able to move the ball. The Seahawks did come back. You know, they were down twenty to seven. They cut it to twenty thirteen. It's ten minutes left. The clink is going crazy and you think, okay, they're gonna come back and win this game. That's what they do. And then the Hunley led Cardinals go on a nine-play, 78-yard, five-and-a-half-minute touchdown drive to end the game. That was the most surprising thing I saw all day. Chandler
4: Jones, four sacks, two forced fumbles. Now joins Robert Mathis as the only players in history with 19 sacks and eight forced fumbles in a season. That includes guys like Deacon Jones before the sack was invented per Pro Football J- Journal, which has researched all those oh, wow. guys. Wow, good from, from the, the Pro 50s. Football Journal. Yeah, from that they're busy season. over there. He's got to be in the 1982 defensive player of the tracking. year, too. Okay, and I get that. He's been one of the most underrated guys. He should probably be an All-Pro. But take a game like today, going against the backup left tackle, Jamarco Jones. Yeah. And he, he, like, I want to see you do it against the best left tackle but, but in the
3: league. Not- here, here's one thing I love about Chandler Jones. One of those forced fumbles was him running 17 yards down the field to knock the ball out of David Moore. And that was one of the things I loved watching him when he was on the Patriots. He is just a man on fire every play in terms of his hustle, and that's sometimes why he gets these, like, clean-up coverage sacks. So uh, credit to him, but I, I do want to quickly mention – how poor Pete Carroll handled this game in my mind. It was
2: just, Ouch.
3: it was just a, it was a Pete Carroll game. <laughs> Seahawks fans know what I'm He's talking. He's been waiting about.
2: all season for this, folks. No, there's, oh, I've done it a couple. Thrown times. Thrown out of Seahawks corner. Now it's his turn to get revenge. All
3: right, third, third and one. Russell Wilson
2: throws the ball deep.
3: He's at around the forty. I think uh, he, oh, past the forty yard line uh, early in the game. He ends up throwing it deep, taking a shot on third and one. He said after the game, it's because he assumed they were going to go for it on fourth and one. But nope, he's got Pete Carroll as, as his coach. He should know better. Not only did they not go for it, they <laughs> punted the ball instead of kicking a 51, attempting a 51-yard field goal. Later in the game, Jason Myers, the same kicker, hit a 52-yarder with room to spare to that same end. In the four, That's fair. That's in the, fair, Doug. In the fourth quarter, uh, they had a fourth and three, uh, I believe, in the red zone where they decide to kick a field goal to make it 20-10. to 10. So they're trying to catch up with field goals instead of going for it on fourth down. And then there's also a third and three before one of these field goals where you hand it off to Travis Homer. That's the one that got me. Fourth string running back. It's, you're on your fourth string running back and you're still trying to establish the run. And look, the, their offensive line can't protect Russell Wilson, so it's kind of your damned if you do, damned if you don't. But give Russ a chance.
2: All right. That's fair. You feel better? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, and Chandler Jones, 19 sacks. The record, quote-unquote, and a half. Michael Strahan, give that record its dignity back. It was stolen when Brett Favre slid at Michael Strahan's feet on the final game of the 2001 season. A disgrace. Well, Taking it away from Jets great Mark Gastineau. Uh, now give it its dignity back. And what does he need? 19, somebody to do the math. Another game like today. Another game like today. That's
5: against Jared Goff and the Rams, whose offensive line is not exactly Mm. a shining star.
2: Get that record as dignity back, Chandler Jones. The the
3: further we get away from the Brett Favre, it's really funny he did that if you think about it. (laughs)
4: I mean, that is like in that he liked Strahan that much, and that he was just like collegial enough that how so much revision is history here? He, he, isn't it a bootleg? He turns around and Strahan's in his face, so he decides to take a plunge. No, it was it was, it, was, it was it was
3: late in the game, and the the Packers, I believe, had it sewed away, and it was pretty clear that they set it up. has set it himself. So yeah, has
5: Farvis uh, said he it. basically yeah.
3: said, "I'm going to roll this way and set it up" because there would win- uh,
4: <laughs> he's admitted that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a disgrace what happened.
3: All right. Uh, Kyler Murray, yeah. I didn't even mention, you know, in a hamstring injury. They pro- he, play- he made a couple of good plays before he left, uh, but you would think, well, we'll see. Yeah. He, he hurt his hamstring. And in, who's in starting athletes. at running
2: back for the Seahawks in the biggest game of the season? Travis Homer?
3: Yeah. Jeez.
5: Dan, would your ire run as deep if they were not in Mark Gastineau's record, who was the I Jets? Mean, it bothers break. me a
2: little bit. My franchise has nothing.
4: Kristen Michael on speed dial. Oh,
3: <laughs>
2: yeah! Or. Well, they, they Trent just. Richardson, Mark. Well, they also just out worked, the out,
4: they worked out Robert Turbin last week, so Great.
2: you never know. All right, the other big upset on Sunday.
1: Fourth and seven. Hodges and the shotgun three receivers. Jets bring it all.
0: for
2: New York. Yeah, Bob Wish shoes in with the call. The Jets radio network. Uh, The Steelers, they're not taking care of their own business. Pittsburgh's path to the playoff playoffs got a lot murkier after a 16-10 loss to the Jets at the Meadowlands. This was a game that featured a Duck Hodges benching, a Mason Rudolph injury, a Duck Hodges return, but no Steelers magic on offense. It's a trend, Wes, in these uh, all-important December games. Uh, What has changed for this Pittsburgh offense from where they were three weeks ago when everybody was feeling good to where they are now.
4: I I think luck. Like, Duck Hodges was always a little over his head that he wasn't good enough to be playing. I mean, he was your boy, though. No, any, anyone who wasn't Mason Rudolph was my boy. <laughs> I think this is being way misrepresented. Every time, is always I, greener. every time I talked about Duck Hodges, I said he has obvious limitations, doesn't have an NFL arm, and is an undrafted <laughs> free agent rookie. Well, you said he was
3: clearly, you know, the best quarterback is sitting on the bench. And unfortunately, this was a, a, the last two weeks have been a Mason Rudolph, you know, like performances. I mean, 17 throws for 84 yards and two picks in this game for Hodges. Well,
4: there was an eight possession sequence from the end of last game through the beginning of this game where he threw five interceptions and (laughs) had three three and outs, and there went the Steelers' season. And they have they w- they have gone seven and three in their last ten games, and in three losses, they've averaged nine points.
2: Mm. Mm. And I would say to Hodges' credit, he he threw two early picks, which led to the benching. He comes in on that last drive. He throws a pretty nice ball uh, to James Washington in the end zone on third down, and Marcus May, who had a nice game for the Jets, did a really nice job in one on one coverage because Greg Williams. He was aggressive. He went after him twice in a row. And then on fourth down, a snap that he drops. It wasn't a great snap, but Hodges probably should have caught it on a fly. But he recovered enough to give give Juju, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster a, a chance, and this just has not been Juju's year. He didn't even really come close to it. But uh, So Hodges didn't totally flame out in the last possession like he did the previous week. But at the same time, Wes, and you talked about this uh, downstairs earlier, It's just another reminder, the Steelers are paying for their sins of never finding a real capable person to put behind Big Ben.
4: Well, every team whiffs on some guys, but whereas the Patriots find a Jimmy Garoppolo and a Jacoby Brissett, the Steelers have had Landry Jones, Josh Dobbs, who they traded away, Mason Rudolph, who flamed out, and they had to turn. I mean, how many times have you ever seen a playoff contender play an undrafted rookie at quarterback?
5: No, but they they loved Mason Rudolph in the... You couldn't see him in real games, but the reports on him, where the, the coaching staff was smitten with his, you know, t- traits and abilities, and then you get him in real live games, and you realize, and like we, we are a week away, of very possibly having an eight and eight team in the AFC make the playoffs, yeah. and there are put the Steelers in that flock of clubs that have to look back on a game like today and a series of games that just like, could any of these teams. Get hot and get it, get and make it happen. I mean, this is there's an well, absurd they, scenario happening
3: at the end. Right. I think if you're the Chiefs, who at least right now are holding the three seed, you look at the the differences in danger compared between Tennessee and anyone else that could get the six seed, which at this point is just Pittsburgh and Oakland, who who will get to. And to me, the Titans are a very dangerous team uh, if they get in as the six seed, and right now they are in position to do that. Whereas Pittsburgh. And certainly Oakland would be a lot less.
4: Famous. Well, and Dan, you talked about how Duck didn't he didn't do so badly on that final drive, but after they put him back in and even before they put him back in, he played scared too too much in this game. That's fair. That's Dan fair. Like, he got rid of the ball too quickly. he He was afraid of pressure. He played scared.
5: I saw your tweet, and it reminds me just of basically everything happening in Cleveland where. Uh, there was the report that the locker room is down on Gase for what his tough guy act and that they've been responding more to Greg Williams. And I feel like, you know, there were predictions that the two of them could butt heads, not that they are, but does it change the way, I mean, are we? I was going to say,
2: uh, my um, point I was going to make before we moved on was that Adam Gase is a profoundly unpopular figure among Jets fans and perhaps inside his own building. But to his credit after that 1 and 7 start uh they they have a chance to go 7 and 9 if they win on Sunday and that is nothing to celebrate but that tells you that this team never quit on Gase despite all the you know setbacks and disappointment and injuries and and some of the offensive play calling which has not been good and it wasn't good in this game either after an early touchdown and i just want to throw one thing out there greg williams when you talk about assistant coach of the year discussions he's not going to get it nobody's ever going to give Greg Williams any trophy however (laughs) what he's been able to do he's turned that Jets defense into a top 10 unit uh, and the number of injuries that group has had and the lack of talent what he's been able to scheme his way to really deserves some credit whether you like the guy or not the Jets defense has been good this year no I wouldn't go that far (laughs) I wouldn't go that feels rich we don't get on in New York City for it, but and I don't know if he's going to be back either because, you know, he's a guy that burns out quickly behind the scenes as well, uh, but he gets credit for that. Mm. Um, T.J. Watt, big force fumble in this game, maybe
3: yeah. helps his Defensive Player of the Year case, and then Mike Tomlin, who I never bought that he should have been in the Coach of the Year race, but that's definitely over after the last I two didn't.
4: years. If, you didn't buy that? If no, no Watt, not compared
3: to John Harbaugh. To me... I, I mean, it's, in the race. it could be 12 people. Right, in but race. It's like, uh, in what, in what
2: Mark, way... Mark, just deal with it. The Ravens head coach is getting head coach the uh, Well,
5: year. you know, I'm on board with that at this point. So.
4: <laughs> if not for that TJ Watt strip sack, the Steelers probably finished the game with three points instead of ten.
2: That's fair. That's fair, dog. All right, uh, speaking of the Raiders. Can take this opening drive in the second oh, half into the end zone. I love zone. getting Washing Musburger on the push show. back, touch, hits, end zone, touchdown, Raiders! opening drive third quarter staying alive that's the theme today
0: and the raiders are staying alive so far all four of the things that had to happen today happened and now the raiders win this and they'll go to denver
2: with a chance to be the sixth seed in the afc hey west it's true you can't say that's not accurate brent musburger kcbs west before the show was on fire that people are plugged in on this Raiders' chances of making the playoffs.
4: Man, what did Saturday teach us? You want good teams because you'll get good football. You guys keep rooting for bad teams. I'm not rooting even. for rooting it. it. I mean, it was Here. Greg and I
2: were discussing You're it at length. So we we nearly annoyed less. by the Raiders. Whoever does get that playoff spot is—they're not long for this world, regardless. But anyway, Oakland Raiders—they keep their playoff hopes alive. 24-17 over the Chargers in front of a sea of silver and black at Dignity Health Sports Park. Ugh. Oh. What a mess! The whole situation. Um, Chargers going with a silent count on offense because the road fans were so loud. Mark, uh, this stat from the great Neil Reynolds of Sky Sports over mm. in London: Entering Sunday, the Raiders had a one and two hundred chance of making the playoffs. They'll wake up Monday with a one and eight shot in Week 17.
5: Well, I, I you know I understand Wes's point that. Uh, rooting for a team like this. Uh, Just pointing out that statistically I, they made a huge jump in terms of playing. I Melbourne like things football. like this in sports. Um, and I, how do you not you know.
2: win the Jaguars game? Oh. Well,
5: that's that. Uh, it makes it makes <laughs> last week's inexcusable loss even tougher to oh. fathom. Right?
3: They would be tied right now at eight and seven with the Steelers and the Titans. It's it's Crazy.
5: unbelievable, and because this was as much of a home game as that was, and and, and the the broadcast crew. Pointed out they were there because you can't tell on TV. It seems like there's a lot of Raiders fans. They put it at like 95% noise level and support level for the Raiders, which is, you know, we can get to that in a second. But the reason I picked that uh, drive capping touchdown right there. Was that this game felt to me? And I mentioned to you guys a couple times, utterly formless. And I was like struggling to find anything from it that was even vaguely relevant. But then the Raiders open; they're up fourteen-seven and looking very Raiders-ish. And the Chargers have have already gone to sleep. I don't know what 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 is happening with them, but they are up fourteen-seven and put together a, an effective nine-minute drive that did two things. I thought it tired out the Los Angeles defense, and, and they never really were the same after that. And basically, just challenged Philip Rivers, who spent the entire game with his right thumb taped up, and you know he was not in a good place. He had his a glove on his other hand just to even be able to protect the ball well. And you know it, that Raider, that Chargers game from a couple of weeks ago where Rivers went out was on fire and jawing at people, and it was the Jaguars. It makes that seem even more ridiculous because two weeks in a row they've they've not gotten the job done. I don't know what to say about Oakland. I mean, they, they just have no weapons at all, and they don't have Josh Jacobs right now, and it's a little bit of Hunter Renfro. It's a little bit of Darren Waller.
2: A it's lot of bit year. of Hunter Renfro who, today to Greg's chagrin, he is the Jenga piece of that offense. He's the guy that <laughs> keeps everything together in that passing attack. He goes over 100 yards. He he is the evolutionary Wayne Kribet, and everybody knows it. Well, okay.
5: I mean, I'll I'll side with you on that one. I just coming out like I do. And I'll, I know, I'll take
3: the L. Renfro has come along well. It's been one of the best 490 yard seasons we've <laughs> seen in a while. Well, it's all they have, but they I, I just cannot imagine. Okay, what
5: is going to happen <laughs> to this Chargers team? And I you know it's not something that the that the NFL wants people to to talk about and complain about. But that, when you that, put them uh, that, well, I mean, Mark, when you've you, said enough,
2: when no. you put you've them said into, it all, when you put
5: them into an 70000 whatever oh, seat stadium what is going to be the weekly the optic the silent that are snap just cat
2: C- count at home well,
3: it's it's, it's, the it's not fair
5: to these players indignity. it was
3: yeah it's well it's a huge disadvantage to the organization but it's one it's games. one that they created that the chargers created i i did want to mention this article that cracked me up from our old friend gilbert Manzano, remember oh, uh, yeah. oh, oh yeah and it was he Over was asking NFL some media. of the chargers players if Desc- they knew yeah. the name of the of the stadium they played in uh, and they didn't, you know, or a few of many of them did not. Uh, Austin Eckler guessed it was Divinity Health Field, which is not it. Uh, some of them call it the Dig, which I didn't Stubhab. know about. But this is it. It was the StubHub. It turned into Dignity. I mean, Health. today was the oh, Oakland the Coliseum, Coliseum, so and this was it. And so it was a three years of I'm sure they don't they don't have fond memories. The, the key was, yeah, the players all said, "I we are ready to get out of here." Yeah.
4: yep. These corporate name stadiums change their name every year. I can't blame players for not keeping no.
2: up with it. Uh, let's move on. Third and goal at the three. Jones in a shotgun. Barkley to his right. He calls out signals. Takes the snap. He's back to throw. Fires one right. Touchdown, Giants. Peyton Smith. And they win it in overtime. Second touchdown catch for Smith. Jones' fifth touchdown pass of the ball game, And the Giants win it in overtime. 41-35. Bob Papa, W-F-A-N. Yes, Daniel Jones threw for 352 yards and a career-high five touchdown passes, including that game-winner in OT. Lifting those Giants. The g 41-35 over the Skins. Jones, he wasn't the only young Giants star on shining display. Saquon Barkley set a franchise record, gentlemen. I mean, this is a decorated franchise. With 279 yards from scrimmage, two long touchdowns. It was a Davy Gettleman fever dream. Um, and that's the thing that my takeaway from the Giants at this age, that they have so much work to do, and it's been a terrible season, and it's been a run of bad football for this team um, for the most part uh, outside of one largely forgettable. Uh, who's the head coach with the really bad hair? Ray Hanley. No, no, no. The oh. ele- le- they went eleven and five or ten and six. Mcadoo. No, Me- bo- yeah. oh. I mean he's ben the McAdoo, best. Why did I <laughs>
5: dial that back 25? <laughs> like he? Had, he ben had, had
3: like a comb over. Then Mcadoo. I mean he's the best Giants coach of the of the decade, including <laughs> oh, Tom God. Coughlin. All right, great. Yeah. <laughs> you lost twice. You got beat twice. Actually, that I'm was, was his let it decade. go. Uh, yeah, that was his home. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 42 and 46 is never going away, Greg. <laughs> anyway, good. Uh, they have so much work to do, uh, the Giants, and Dave Gettleman doesn't deserve a parade because a lot of his moves haven't worked out. But there are worse places to be in than to have a, um, a high draft pick, and I don't know the salary cap situation, but uh, to have Daniel Daniel Jones, and this is not his first game this season where he's piled up these monster stats. I, I've touched I, him. I meant to go back and check it out. According to Gil Brandt on Twitter, Jones is the only rookie since at least 1950 with 350-plus passing yards, five-plus passing TDs, and zero interceptions in a game. And Barkley, this is the performance you expected more of these type of games, but it's just a, a reminder of how incredibly talented he is. He is the type of guy that you could get on his back and he'll take you to the Super Bowl if you have the right team around him. So as far as the Giants go, they have so much work to do, but they have two potential big pieces. Barkley, we know, he's already a superstar, but Jones has shown certainly enough in his rookie year to make you think they have a guy that they can really build around.
5: I found it interesting, this report that when Dwayne Haskins went out with an ankle injury, that Redskins owner Daniel Snyder told him not to come back in the game. Well, what was, or is that not Haskins
4: clarified after the game that the doctor told him not to, and then has and then the owner basically said, listen to listen to the doctor. you know oh, well, that feels in.
2: less controversial. yeah <laughs> well, that's the way it was spun after the game yeah the, I mean, the, the
4: initial report was curious, so
2: it that's what Haskins told the media and then a Redskins spokesman came out immediately. He's like, no, 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 That's not how it played out. Case but, Keenum uh, came in and, and almost led
3: them uh, to victory, but because the Redskins' defense was so bad and lost it in overtime, you got the Redskins with the number two pick in the draft, which in this draft, especially with Chase Young sitting out there, uh, is very advantageous. They just need to lose once more. Yeah.
2: that, that In fact, possible. I was kind of blown away that after uh, – Case Keenum led the Redskins on a 99-yard touchdown drive uh, to pull them within one and with 29 seconds to play. They opted to kick the extra point and play for overtime. It's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. The move is to go for two there. You either win or lose. And by the way, wink, wink. Throw it over the crossbar and let's <laughs> let's get to town with Chase Young. Uh, but anyway, uh, he kicked the extra point and Daniel Jones did the rest. I like I set up all that Gettleman stuff and it was just silence in the room because nobody likes to talk about Dave Gettleman. No, I, I, mean, I was you, waiting for? Someone else.
4: Oh. Every time one side says, "Look at the scoreboard," the other side looks dumb for a month.
5: I would like right. to have a parade for him. I all mean, right. that would be fun. Just to think I mean, it hasn't
3: gone well, and they now uh, they're set up for the number four pick. It looks like they'll stay ahead of Miami next week as well in terms of strength of schedule. So if they don't win, they're at number
2: But four. I'm not crazy. Jones has had, he's stacked together. I know he's had bad games too, he's, but every rookie does. He's had monster games. He's had some games. big games. He's had
3: some monster fantasy games. It's been up and down, but there's definitely been those big time moments. I mean, this game had 28 points before there was an incompletion. Has, you know, the running games and Haskins and him were going back I mean, and if, forth. If Baker or Darnold threw five
5: touchdowns and zero It'd picks collapse. in one game, we would be running around right. the building with no clothes on I mean. and the thing with the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it would be treated differently yeah would it be
2: great and the whole thing with the with going back into the game and the owner that you could lay that out and put team x and everyone would say oh we know who wh- what team was responsible for the shenanigans or this controversy yep and that's a problem there all right let's move on <laughs>
0: Straight eye formation slot right. They hand it off Philip Lindsay straight ahead. It's splits his loose. 20-15. Lindsey inside the 10. High steps inside the five. Touchdown. Denver. Philip Lindsay. His seventh rushing touchdown of the year. That's a scamper of 27 yards. And it extends the Broncos lead to 26-17 with 639 left.
2: Dave Logan with the call. That was the final score of the game. Phil Lindsay seals it with that touchdown. And Drew Locke delivered another promising performance. The Broncos 27-17 over the Browns, or the Lions, excuse me, who have now dropped eight straight. Wes, you picked this game for the grass field the men would play on. Did you get anything else out of it?
4: Philip <laughs> oh, Lindsay looks good. Uh, Drew Locke, you, you can't really take a whole lot out of this one. It was mostly the Phil Lindsay show. He did lead an impressive drive where he threw the ball to Deshaun Hamilton. He might have had the best game of his career. I was just wondering a week or two ago if this guy just mm. isn't very good and will never be a starting caliber receiver for the Broncos, but he had a pretty good game today. Uh, Locke was good, and the Lions had their first lead of December for a while. I mean, that's <laughs> saying something. They they had a Jamal Agnew return punt return for a touchdown, and Kenny Galladay played well, as he always does. And uh, Blau shrunk against uh, oh. pass pressure as he usually does.
5: Now wait a minute. Well, well he I, well, let's. Uh, Wes you, knows what he's talking about. All right, but if I'll, I'll have to go check out this game uh, extensively myself. Later well, this week I mean, by never, the very
4: nature of your club, you have to stick with the quarterback. Well,
5: thank you. I was gonna. I did notice that the Blau-Hards, who support David Blau, um, along with the Bohemians, who are both Scarborough fans, uh, those two players combined. And one of them is a quarterback. Uh, for 151 total yards. So we're going to go th- culture. Yeah, we're going to go through some tough stretches supporting these guys, but if you think that we're going to jump ship at some point, uh I think the Lions are going to jump ship. Well, he, David Blau will do something in his life. We will report on him no matter what he's doing whether it's on the field or not. Anything David else Lions should run
4: a plow.
3: <laughs> Anything else. <laughs> Lions up to the number 3 pick. Kind of snuck in there. Yeah. Kind of snuck in there if, the, the, if damn the Redskins thing. mess around and and beat uh the Redskins
2: Next week. Is you know, like it? a nine-game losing streak to end your season. That could really do wonders. Undoubtedly, Ego. Bob
5: Quinn will do the right thing with that uh, that draft slot.
2: <laughs> Let's move on.
0: Move on. Freeman in the backfield. Jacksonville brings four. Quick throw. That's Freeman. The catch. Touchdown, Atlanta. Caught it at the two and then just kind of backed his way into the end zone. He took Gerard Wilson and Trey Herndon with him. So Devontae Freeman on the board, on the ground and through the air. And it's 13-0 Atlanta.
2: West Durham of the Falcons radio network. Devonta Freeman scored two touchdowns before the Jacksonville Jaguars even took a snap, and uh, that was enough. The Falcons beat the uh, Jaguars 24-12 in a matchup between two two teams thinking about whether they want to fire their head coaches. Yep, the hot butt bowl. Uh, So this would be another positive Sunday on the Save Dan Quinn front because they have a chance... Uh, after a 1-7 start to finish the second half of the season 6-2. and two. And that's the type of stuff that makes ownership think twice. Unless, of course, Arthur Blank already decided at 1-7 and seven that he was, wanted to hit the reset button. We'll find out soon enough. Um, and a couple things. We get the report from Ian Rappaport this weekend. Same thing. Like, well, let's, let's hold off on this stuff. That Doug Marone, after the Tom Coughlin firing, uh, might actually be safe and he might continue on in 2020 as the head coach. Along with David Caldwell. With David Caldwell, the GM, although Tony Khan, who we've met, very nice man, he could end up having a a greater role potentially uh, in the decision-making of the team. Um, And then you go out and the Jaguars, you know, lay another egg in a game that 24-12 is kind. It was not even (laughs) – it wasn't even uh, that entertaining. Uh, Your boy Minshew did nothing. Until uh, the very end of the game. He had and, 19 yards passing like with minutes to go in the second quarter. I know, but he's your guy, so I don't know. Well, um, <laughs> and I want to focus on Julio Jones before we move on because, Wes, you made a good point when we were in our conversation about the All-Decade team uh, that uh, you know, almost you know, it flies under the radar a little bit how great this man has been. On Sunday, Julio Jones had his 55th career 100-yard receiving day. Um, That is the most among active players, the fourth most all-time, and if he manages 84 yards next week, he'll tie Jerry Rice, yes, Jerry Rice, for the most 1,400-yard seasons at receiver. Juicy. Also, Julio's going to do it six years in a row if he does it. Six years in a row, and keep in mind, Jones is still just 30 years old. It's been remarkable what him, what he and Matt Ryan have done together. Yes, they blew the Super Bowl, but it's not all about that. What this mm. these two guys have done is a tandem. Oh, By the way, Julio Jones didn't blow the Super no, Bowl. No, yeah. He made say. the catch that should have locked up the Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots, but that's a different conversation. This is a tremendous player. We get to watch greatness every Sunday, even if the Falcons aren't very good. Left footed kicker Gets this one away A high spiraling kick He turned it over
0: Backing up Naeem Hines Inside his 20 Now near side numbers 25, 30
2: 35, 40 45 down the near side line Has the putter to beat Nearside, he's at the 30 He's at the 20 He's gonna go Naeem Hines A punt return For a touchdown Naeem Hines Takes it all the way back And the Colts lead it 13 to nothing Matt Taylor Colts radio network Of the call Naeem Hines Uh, Became the first NFL player in seven years to score two punt returns in the same game. And he set up another touchdown with a long return early in the game. I mean, (laughs) it's like one of the, Greg... 38-6 win for the Colts over the Panthers. This is one of the best special teams performances in NFL history based on what I'm seeing here. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what
3: you're going to see when you sign up for uh, Colts, Panthers in Week 16, (laughs) but you got one of the great punt return performances. It was only three returns. One was for 40 yards, which set up uh, their first touchdown, and then their next The next two was an 84-yard touchdown, which we heard, and the 71-yard touchdown uh, return in the fourth quarter was even more electric. It wasn't just the blocking. It was him making guys miss. It it just made me wonder, like, why was
2: Naeem Hines not the punt returner until this week? You got to get Bones (laughs) Fossil in Carolina as their next head coach. (laughs) Let's
4: put this in perspective. There's only six guys who have more punt return yards all season than Naeem Hines had on Sunday.
5: (laughs) Right, we're in an NFL where this isn't happening anymore,
3: and it's essentially Eric Metcalfian. Uh, you know, which-
2: <laughs> is it too late to make the Colts the team of around the NFL?
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So he he set it up. There wasn't there wasn't too much else. I know our friend uh, Spice Rack had a lot of hopes, hopefully just hopes pinned on uh, Will Greer today. And based uh, on the text, that felt like a lot was on the line.
4: Well, he was zero for seven with three interceptions on deep passes today, and we were told to watch for deep passes.
3: They did. He his first throw was like fifty yards down the field. It was pretty well covered. It Sorry, was spell incomplete. Uh, two of those interceptions were uh, in the last three minutes of the game so sometimes garbage time goes goes wrong you know but he didn't he didn't really make any plays that made you excited I thought it was interesting when
2: garbage time goes wrong
3: Ian
5: reported <laughs> that the Colts will take a long look at the quarterback position and would be open to drafting someone and that they're just, huh. you know. of course I mean well not of course I mean we, we were drafting. debating
3: that on Thursday but I think you have to at this point I think the thing is will they go after like a veteran? Because you could get out of his contract easily enough, Jacoby Brissett, that is, who did not play well today. I mean, he didn't look any better than Will Greer. Has th- anybody's
2: stock on lower in the last eight weeks than uh, Jacoby Brissett? You know, uh, he, relative to where it
3: yeah, was Yeah, he before? is playing in theory through an injury, um, but he's just so inaccurate. All his balls, his passes are, are sailing. They somehow scored 38 points with him completing. 14 to 27 for 119 yards. Wow. Well, you have Naheem Hines mm. and a, a rugged running game that racked up over a couple hundred yards. You know, you're going to do it. Panthers so you, just wait for that offseason vacation
4: at this point. Well, the, the Colts have a playoff chance, right, Greg?
3: No. No, they're done? They are done. But they, I'm glad you said this just so that I can. uh, How magnanimous of you, Wes. But they, wait, they are. They (laughs) They are a factor (laughs) factor. in a playoff scenario, Wes. Berserker. Because here's what they can do. (laughs) We forgot to mention with the Raiders. We should at least spell it out what needs to happen. The Colts are involved. And the Colts, if they win at Jacksonville, Wes, next Sunday, they could be part of a four way. 8-8 8-8 eight eight tie that would send the Raiders to the playoffs because oh they God. would win that four-way <laughs> tie. For, for that to happen, not only do the Colts have to win, the Steelers have Inch to me. have to lose at the Ravens. Not impossible. The Titans have to lose can't believe you have another game at, at the Texans. Not impossible. And the Raiders have to win in Denver. And that would send them to the playoffs. And they just need some help from Naheem Himes and a few other teams. And Spice Rack, nobody has any idea where you are anymore. <laughs> but wherever you are, Merry Christmas. Greer bounced bounce back. This was just, you know, as a as a flesh wound.
4: Do any of these precious little calculations take into the fact that the Texans are probably gonna arrest all their players and it won't matter anyway?
3: No, the Tech well that uh yeah, that would that would be a
4: problem. Yeah, all your little twelve percent goes down to like point one point point one two percent. Allow people to dream.
2: To Miami we go. On to Miami Coming
4: from the dirt nap guy, that's funny. <laughs> It's only when it's your Raiders involved. Here it That's is. a fun
0: story. <laughs> off the holder. Sanders trying to Don't win. Don't play off, Wes. <laughs> Hold it down. Kick is up. And the kick is good. And the Miami Dolphins have defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 38-35 to in overtime. Miami goes to 4-11 and on the season. The Bengals fall to 1-14 in one of the most unusual games in the
2: history of this stadium. I mean, let's hear it then. You don't get many wins. Jimmy Cephala. Dolphins Radio Network. The Dolphins gave up 16 points in the final 29 seconds of regulation, but somehow regrouped. Getting a Jason Sanders 37-yarder in OT, 38-35 dub for the Dolphins. Uh, Miami had a 35-16 lead, excuse me, 35-12 lead, with less than seven minutes to play, but watched Andy Dalton go ginger nuclear to force overtime. The big picture, Mark, the Bengals are 1-14 and, and now own the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft, and you can't take it away from them. Hello, Joe Burrow.
5: Yeah, I thought, I mean, for a minute that we were witnessing insane glowing red ginger man revenge on the organization he'll likely not be with next year by orchestrating this ferocious comeback. And, you know, had they won and fitting. they didn't and had something stuff happen next week, uh, you know they would not have had the number one overall pick, and Joe Burrow would be going somewhere else potentially. Uh, would have been a delicious Andy Dalton narrative to close the year. I mean, if I were the oh, yeah. if I were the Bengals owner, I would have called down when they were trying to essentially tie the game to go into overtime with a with a two point conversion. And they, I would have said, you listen. If Andy Dalton doesn't fire this ball into the stands, everyone down there is gone. And instead they let they they they're toying with fate going into overtime, but the Dolphins who had an incredible game today from Ryan Fitzpatrick who is just playing as well as anyone around at this point, uh, they they squeaked it out. Wes, you watch this too. I don't do you have anything else you want I to did. say. I just tag team this. Yeah, one. we
4: tag. teamed yeah. Delightfully. It was this game started out total yards. <laughs> There. 159 to 1, Dolphins over Bengals. And I had written in my notes when I turned the game off with about 40 seconds left. I really stayed with it for a long time. <laughs> this game, not nearly as close as the final score will be. That was 35 to 19. <laughs> it was 35 to 19 with 30 seconds left. And then the Bengals. <laughs> Uh, scored a touchdown on fourth down, had a two-point conversion, had a successful onside kick, had a 29-yard touchdown with the clock hitting Look. zero. Then had an untimed two-point conversion, all in the final 30 seconds of the game. I don't think we've ever seen that before. <laughs> no, that was a,
2: that was remarkable say. that they did that, and it worked out perfectly. Because yes, Wes, as you pointed out, what would be more Cincinnati Bengals than this being, you know, they lose at Burrow because of this insane one-in-a-trillion scenario, and then whoever goes with the first quarterback well, ends up being, you know, the next Tom Brady. That Nothing would be more Bengals than that. So let's just be thankful that the Bengals fans had a fun little moment there. Andy Dalton had maybe his last great moment in a Cincinnati uniform, and they still got what they needed to get. Well, the fast forward pick. to late April. No one
3: knows who Mike Brown's going to take until they're on the clock, and there will be some speculation... You know, it's already started that it'll take Chase Young because he loves Ohio State guys well, and he's a once in a generation player. It. And it's just Mike Brown, so we won't know until they actually call the pick. But we'll, you know, we've got four months to talk about the that. Scouting for the scouting business. the
4: joke in scouting circles is the Bengals will draft the best Big Ten player available right. every year. So, of course, it would be Chase Young. But there's another factor here the Bengals are very, this goes for all Cincinnati sports teams, they love Ohio people. He's and Joe behind. Burrow is yeah. from Athens, Ohio. Perfect. That's so nice. they'll probably take him because they do love the local. Don't connection. worry,
2: Bengals fans. Is it this should be covered?
5: Is it just assumed that the right coach for Joe Burrow and fill the blank is Zach Taylor We've going We got the offseason. season.
2: Talk about. Well, we just, got
5: no, the. I'm not, I, no, season. I'm saying is, are we sure Who that, that they're bringing him back 100? percent I, I think
2: so because we know enough about What Zach Taylor's had with him this year, and do we know anything about Joe Burrow? I don't know. I don't How about, know. This Dolphins team, we were que- we were questioning their
3: very integrity early in the year. Pe- you know, not folks. the
4: players and coaches, right? But right.
3: the organization, and the they ended up now they're tanking. now they're in the fifth pick. You know, they won four games. They they played too well. That Ryan, not Fitz- say that
4: we were wrong for questioning the front office for trying to tank a season. Sure, they, they have a coach, but
3: just more that the NFL. There was talk, and, and we had it on this podcast, that the talent level really wasn't that different. Ultimately, because it's the NFL and all these players are at least good enough. Ryan Fitzpatrick now has as many four tu- or more four touchdown games in his career than Matt Ryan or Tony Romo or John Elway. <laughs> Put him in Canton. Put him in Canton. All right,
2: now on to Sunday night. Third down and five for the Chiefs with the twelve of the Bears. No score.
0: Big rush to the outside. Mahomes will scramble. He's at the ten. He's at the five. Touchdown! Ten. 10.
2: Chiefs get a touchdown on their first drive of the game. Mitch Holtus, Chiefs Radio Network. Yes, Sunday night football. It looked like a mismatch on paper, and that's exactly how it turned out. Patrick Mahomes got the Chiefs going with that rushing touchdown. The knee looking pretty good, I might add. Uh, and the Bears never really threatened. 26-3, the final score. Kansas City moves to 11-4, keeping themselves in the conversation uh, for a first-round bye as we head toward uh, Week 17. The Bears playing out the string, and Bears fans who were loyal enough, or, you know, they were already in the hole for the tickets, uh, <laughs> to go to this game at Soldier Field uh, got some booing in on Trubisky and the Bears' offense, which was inefficient as ever, Greg Rosenthal. But that's story for another time. The Chiefs keep rolling. It, it's
3: part of the story here because this Chiefs defense is good enough, especially stopping the pass, to hold a really bad offense to 26 yards of passing at halftime, which is what the Chiefs did today. They are able to just strangle these poor teams, and we, we saw it last week against uh, the Broncos to the point where you feel like Patrick Mahomes in these couple weeks. It's like you know, it's like Michael Jordan going out. <laughs> On like a back-to-back against the Suns, we only need like 27 and, you know, five out of you tonight. Let's save the real fireworks for the the
4: bigger challengers up the road. Chris Jones and Frank Clark are healthy up front. They add Terrell Suggs, Juan, Juan Thornhill and Hunting Badger feel like they're playing as one of the best safety duos in the league over the past month. And this pass defense gets better every week to the point where I think they're as good as teams like the Saints. Yeah, I mean, are, what defenses... Look, the Patriots... Patriots are, and Bills have
3: better secondaries, probably. They, they do, but even even the best defenses that are making the playoffs, and I include the Patriots and the 49ers in this, I just don't feel that they're going to come in and like, shut teams down every game. And, to, and the Chiefs have holes, but their defense is good enough... They're going to be competitive with anyone. I don't think they're going to be the reason that that they don't go. I love far the way the they're
5: winning games. I mean, it, it, last year it was you know every game you know you you knew the defense was going to give up 27 points and you had to have monster performances from Mahomes and the rest. And yeah, you're playing a bad opponent today, but they made the Bears look as bad as ever. I mean, drives of 14, 4, 32 yards in the first half—a total disaster. I mean, the Bears' offense is offensive to the eyes, and I. It's, we are a week away from saying farewell to 20 teams, and they are the one, and I think their fans would agree, that I cannot wait to uh, say goodbye to. They need a long winter's nap, and I don't want to hear from them until August.
3: After six primetime games this year, I'm guessing it was six. That's the
2: max. They will Five be penalized.
3: Six, they'll, they'll be down to, let's say, two to three.
2: Yes, and maybe if they truly deserve a punishment for inflicting... Uh, Six primetime games upon us. Including
5: the kickoff game.
2: Just give them a Thursday night game next year to reestablish their value. Robert Mays (laughs) made a good point. Uh, Robert Mays of The Ringer, uh, who does good work over there. He made, uh, you know, this game was the connection, obviously, between Patrick Mahomes, um, who was picked after Mitch Trubisky famously, infamously Chicago traded up to go get Trubisky um, while there were superstar quarterbacks to, uh, to be. Uh, still on the board, uh, Mays wrote: Patrick Mahomes was an incredibly difficult evaluation. Who landed in a perfect situation? Deshaun Watson was one of the greatest college QBs ever. Passing on him is the franchise-altering mistake. Uh, that's just this game was a reminder, and and one fans in Chicago are booing uh, loudly. It's because this is going to stick in their craw for a generation. Uh, mm. That they 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 picked the wrong guy, and now that that decision uh, will be big. What do what the Bears do next at that position, whether it's bringing in competition or finding a way out of the relationship entirely? But I want to make one more point about uh, the Chiefs' defense, who, we, as we've established, is playing really well right now. This is their fifth consecutive game now, where they've allowed 17 points or less, um, and in these five games, they've allowed all wins, 17-9, 16-3, three, and three points, it's just different. It's when we talk about the Patriots are different this year. The offense is just different. The thing with the Chiefs is maybe they're not scoring the way and Mahomes isn't as, like, it, your eyes aren't popping out of your head watching what he's doing on a weekly basis. But this is a more more rounded team, and they continue to kind of lay in the weeds in the AFC. Is it a team not to look past and a team that can absolutely go on a run, especially if they close out and they take care of business at home against the Chargers and then get – Get some get get a break, and what is the break they need to get a? They uh,
3: need the Patriots to lose to the Dolphins. That's a, it's the type of thing that hasn't happened in this Patriots run, where they end up giving the break to another team. That would make their life, the, the Chiefs, that is, a lot easier. But they are seven and one on the road, and if any team could beat New England and Baltimore in a row on the road, I think it's this Chiefs team. Their one road loss was that crazy game in Tennessee, which they should have won a few different ways. And and even if the score wasn't that high, it's like. Kelsey is healthy, and Tyreek Hill is healthy, and Patrick Mahomes, as you saw with the speed on that rushing touchdown, is healthy. They barely touch—you know, Cleo Mack had the only quarterback hit on Patrick Mahomes the entire night. They're not touching him. Like, everything is just—if you're a Chiefs fan, you just want to get past next week healthy and get on because I think they got a chance here.
4: All of this is true. We all love how they're playing. It should be acknowledged that during this stretch where they're allowing 9.8 points per game on defense— they've played the chargers, raiders, patriots, broncos and bears. There's not a good offense in the bunch. Yeah,
3: right. That's why right. they'll give up points and yards uh, against a good team, but I think they can they can score with anyone and I know ravens fans don't think it matters that much, but they've had the, they had the ravens numbers the last 2 years. They they beat them pretty soundly.
5: Is Mitch Trubisky the weak-win starter in Chicago no, next I don't year? I so. I just don't know how you can do this again. But so. I've been tough on them, maybe overly so at times, but uh, you know, unless the you, the, their GM, one executive of the year, while well, well, in well, a mid-making all these decisions, and their hands. Mike McCagnan. So the yeah, the award the award mm. is not indicative of. Two Lane product the future, though, but. Ryan
3: Pace and great great hair, and
2: uh, he'll get a chance to rebuild this team. I don't know if Trubisky will get a chance. To, no I, one's knocking I, the yeah, hair. I, I got know. a text, uh, Ryan Pace text while we were recording the podcast today from an unnamed, um, highly um, esteemed member of talent here at NFL Network saying, Ryan Pace, great hair, good looking. Gonna dig on dig dig in on that. But as in question if the if those like two things A little true? bit of a surprise did we kind oh. of miss the boat on this. Oh. And I certainly will be doing that. That feels like a David Ely text. Um I said talent. Um <laughs> feels all right.
4: like an Ian Rappaport text.
2: All right. Let's now <laughs> let's get out of here. It's Please. been a long day. A reminder again: the Miami Improv, uh, the Thursday before the Super Bowl, January thirtieth, seven thirty p.m. We will be doing our live podcast, the now annual Super Bowl show. Uh, tickets available at what I believe is not uh, not an offensive cost, and <laughs> and you get to have a good a good football show that gets you ready for the big game. Oh. Yes, exactly. Wes is is pumped up about it, and uh, we will be back. uh, Are we going up Monday night with a show or Tuesday? We'll figure that out, but we will be uh, giving you all the content you need on on Christmas week. Do not worry. We'll have the wrap-up of week 16 with that big Vikings-Packers tilt, and then you'll have the Christmas holiday, and then right on the other side of that, yes, the preview of week 17. We don't stop. Other people stop. No break. We do not stop. (laughs) All right. Stan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, and everybody behind the glass. Thank you. Till Tuesday.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, some 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At BostonProper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.